Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. Today, I am super excited to bring you this conversation with Colleen Kodikas about a super popular springtime plant. For those of you who don't know Colleen, she's passionate about healthy living through natural food and herbal medicine. She lives with her family of three in Vermont, where living close to nature is easy and a way of life. In her off time, she likes to go foraging for wild edible and medicinal plants and mushrooms, cook delicious food, make mead, grow a ridiculous amount of edible and medicinal plants, and make herbal medicine. She is the author of the traditionally published book, Healing Herbal Infusions, and four ebooks Wild Crafting Weeds, Healing Kitchen Herbs, Simple Mead Making, and The Backyard Forest Garden. She has also created an online foraging course, Gather Plus Root. Welcome to the podcast, Colleen. Hi, thank you, Rosalie. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I feel like we've been, you know, known each other online for so long, and it's really fun to have this, you know, face-to-face visit, and I'm excited to talk about the plant you've chosen. But before we do that, I want to hear how the herb world called you in. Well, let me see. So it really started with a love of hiking when I was a teenager and into like my early 20s. So I loved going hiking and just like being out in the natural world. When I was that young, I didn't really I didn't really do any plant identification or whatever. I just liked being out in it. And then when I went to college, I was an environmental studies and biology major. And so I really started learning about botany and identific- plant identification and identifying trees. And I really gravitated towards those type of courses. So I learned a lot about plant, just like identification. I wasn't as much into the like foraging and like herbal medicine part yet, but I just really loved learning a lot about plants. And then when I was in college, towards the end of my college years, I got a chance to go to Ecuador, which was really cool. I was there for about four weeks or so. Just learning about plants and the the tropical plants was so cool. That was like 20 years ago now, so I can't really remember like specific plants that we learned, but we learned about a lot of different plants. And it just like really solidified me like wanting to like continue that with my life. So then I got a job in my late 20s working in Yosemite National Park and was there for almost 10 years, actually. And during that time, that's really when I started identifying plants that were 
edible and medicinal. Like I really started like leaning towards that. Um, I heard rumors about elderberry growing in the park and, you know, people making wine with it. You know, we're in the middle of the woods. So like wine was a hot commodity, right? <laughs> so learning about elderberry wine, but like I, I had never like found it yet. So I wasn't sure what it looked like or anything la like that, but I knew it existed right out there. <laughs> Eventually I was able to find some blue elderberry growing in Yosemite and around and outside of the park and inside of the park. And I was able to identify it. And then of course I learned about the medicinal benefits that went along with elderberry. And so that was really cool. And then people would start coming to me, well, where are the elderberry trees? Where are the elderberry trees? You know? <laughs> so it was actually pretty easy to find them because they were almost everywhere. And <laughs> so that was fun. And then I started working up in the high country of Yosemite at Tuolumne Meadows. It's really high elevation and the elderberry doesn't grow quite that high up. It's more lower down. I learned about yarrow. There was yarrow growing like everywhere and it wasn't, it wouldn't flower up there through the whole summer season. It wouldn't grow flowers. It would just be like the frilly little leaves. But a friend of mine who I worked with sort of knew about the benefits of it and was, you know, telling me how it was good for blood clotting and like all these things. And I was like, wow, that is like so cool. Like how cool is that? You know? So I would really say probably yarrow was the plant that like really got me into it. I mean, elderberry was was an interest too but i just thought this like you know very it was such a small little plant up at nine thousand feet you know that this very unassuming little plant could like do so much right so hmm. and then from there you know i eventually started my blog and i just was pretty much self-taught at that point i just started like reading and learning getting books rosemary gladstar of course and lots any books that i could get and then i just sort of like learned by doing you know, creating herbal medicine, you know, create in the very early years of my blog, creating things for the blog and learning as I go, learning how to make skincare products and herbal salves and creams and all that sort of thing just kind of took off from that point, you know, and eventually I took some, a couple online courses and then I wrote a book and here I am. <laughs> Another thing that we share love for is beautiful photography. Is that something that you also just picked up along the way, self-taught? Yes, yes, yeah. And if you were to look back at my first blog posts, the photography wasn't as beautiful, but thank you. I love I love photography and that has definitely like been another like passion of mine as the years of blogging have gone on. And I just I love plants and photographing plants and and photographing the things that I make with the plants, whether it's like foraged foods or like herbalism based stuff. It's just, it's really fun for me. I enjoy it. You know, it's, it's something that I, that I really love doing. Oh, it, it shines through following you on Instagram, you know, as well as your blogs, but like your Instagram page is just so beautiful. It's just oh, eye candy you. for the herbalist. So yeah, um, thank you. So I, and I love that you said it didn't start off well, or didn't start off as pretty. Because that's yeah. the same way, like my early photos now, I just cringe, but I just completely learned by doing, I was not something Yeah, get a little bit better. Yeah. You know, first I was taking all my photos just with my phone and, you know, now I have like a real camera actually, I actually just upgraded to an even better camera. So I'm really okay. liking that too. The other thing I was going to say about learning about plants is where I was living previously in Southern Oregon. Now we've moved to Vermont, but in Southern Oregon, just like things would start growing in our yard that were like weeds. Most people would think of as weeds. And 
I was just like so interested, like, what is this plant? What is that plant? And almost every single one was something that was used either for herbalism purposes or for food or both. So like chickweed, well, dandelion, of course, you know, I, I was able to identify that one pretty easily, but you know, like chickweed and like cleavers, we had this huge patch of cleavers pop up and in our yard one year. And that's when I learned about cleavers <laughs> and wild violet. We had tons of wild violet and I'm trying to think what else popped up, but so many different things, henbit, so many different things popped up. And it was just another way for me to learn about plants. You know, sometimes it was like, like chickweed was one I had heard about for quite a few years, but the place I'd been living before, it didn't really grow very commonly or whatever. And then this plant like popped up at our new house and I'm like, what is this plant? And, I, and then finally I saw the flower. I'm like, Hey, I think that's chickweed. Wow. Mm -hmm. So they were, were popping up, piquing your curiosity. And it yeah. seems like that's a great segue into the plant you've chosen for today. And I'm so excited yeah. to talk about purple dead nettle because this plant is like the most popular plant for like one month out of the year. I right. swear everybody is talking about purple dead nettle. And the thing is, there's not a lot of information about it. So I think part of it is people are interested and then people are also craving to hear from somebody who has experience with the plant. So I'm so glad you chose it. And I'm excited to, to hear what you have to say about purple dead nettle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Purple dead nettle was another one of those ones that just sort of like popped up in my yard, in my backyard. The first year, there was just a few of them. And then every year there was more until I had this huge patch. Right? Uh, I, th I think that's just kind of how that plant grows. It's a mint family plant. So those tend to sort of like take over. But yeah, it was so cool to like learn about it and what it was. You know, I was able to identify it fairly quickly. For those who don't know, like it has like a little purple top. It's kind of like low growing. It has a square stem. It's a mint family plant. It's a little bit fuzzy. It's called purple dead nettle because it has no sting, whereas stinging nettle has a sting. But they're it's actually not in the same family as stinging nettle. Oh, it's such all. an unfortunate common name. One I that know. I think collectively we should maybe try to change just because I mean, yeah. one, it, it kind of like it just has a weird connotation, like purple dead nettle. But like you said, it's not in the same plant family. Once you like know basic plant ID, they really don't look alike. No. <laughs> so and it's such a beautiful plant that I feel like, I don't know, it's just that relationship to that particular common name is not like heartfelt really for me. So yeah, it'd be nice. It's fun to call it Lamium purpurea because that, you know, is that's also, you know, letting us know about, you know, being in the mint family and the color of it, purpurea, but doesn't yes. quite roll off the tongue in a common name sort of way. So Right. We should like have a contest, like let's rename this. <laughs> let's all commit to, to using this new common name. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking when I first identified it, like, hmm, well, it doesn't have a sting. Like, why are they calling it dead? You know, I guess that's why where they get the dead nettle part. But why the nettle part? Like, I don't quite understand it. I saw a few things online that said, well, because the leaves look similar. And I'm like, but I mean, they do, I guess, but not really that much. So they're much smaller. Purple dead nettle leaves are much smaller and they're they're fuzzy, you know, so maybe, maybe that's why, but whenever I post about it on my Instagram or wherever people, a lot of times think, oh, well, it's a nettle. Does it, it must sting. Like there was, there's one picture that I have of me holding up like a whole bunch of purple dead nettle. And they're like, you're holding it with your hands. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, it doesn't have a sting though. So yeah, it's a really cool plant though. And some people despise it just like other plants that are viewed as weeds because it like I said, it can take over. I just let it do its thing and it, when it grows in my yard and just kind of let it take over. Like you said, it doesn't last for very long. It's sort of, 
at least where I was in Southern Oregon, it would come up around the same time as chickweed and wild violet. So actually the chickweed and wild violet might've been like a tiny bit ahead of, and then not long after that purple dead nettle would pop up and it would seem to just grow very, very quickly. And then it would be there for a few weeks. And then it would kind of like go to seed and get kind of like crusty-ish, I guess is, is the right word, but it would get kind of pokey, you know, and then die off and that would be the end of purple dead nettle. People always get excited when I post about it. So I rarely see purple dead nettle without a bee or several bees buzzing around. Yeah, bees tend to love it, love it a lot. You know, I've seen bees a little bit on the chickweed flowers. And of course, you'll see them on dandelions, but they they kind of swarm to the purple dead nettle for sure, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's definitely like a, a good early spring plant for the bees, just like dandelions are. So if you have a purple dead nettle in your yard, and you don't want it there, it's good to leave some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you had purple dead nettle peak up and then more and more, and then I'm sure it grabbed your attention. And then then you started making things with this plant? Yeah, yeah. So I just, after I realized that it was like edible and medicinal, and I'm always like, woohoo, when I find a plant that's like that, right? I just started like researching on what I could do with it. The thing about purple dead nettle is that it like, it doesn't taste super great. It kind of has a musty flavor. Some people like it. Some people don't as much. It's just kind of grassy. Musty is the word that I hear people use Mm. a lot. So if you're going to use it in like making a pesto or something like that. I usually recommend people to mix it with other herbs. Like it's really good mixed with chickweed and dandelion leaf. That way you sort of get the benefits of all of them, but you don't have the like sort of weirdish flavor of purple dead nettle. Um, It's also kind of hairy, like I mentioned. So it's just having a lot of it is just not, doesn't have like the best taste in your mouth kind of. So you can use it as an herb, like little bits here and there, like you would like you would just use a chopped herb. But of course it has these medicinal uses. So there's ways that you can use it medicinally. Some people make a tea out of it. Again, it doesn't taste super great. So you can put honey in it or whatever. And also I should mention that it's really good for allergies, purple dead nettle, same as stinging nettle. So it sort of has the same benefits in that, in that manner. People tend to use it for allergies and it's also a good anti-inflammatory and antibacterial. So I've actually never made it into an infused oil and salve, but I know that it that it is really beneficial for that. But yeah, there's there's lots lots of great ways to use it. <laughs> so is there something that every year you're sure to make with purple dead nettle? Typically I'll I'll do I'll include it in a wild greens pesto. So that's why I mentioned that recipe. I've seen recipes that call for all purple dead nettle, but I don't think that would be something that most people would like. So I really like the bitterness of dandelion root. And I think that, I mean, of dandelion leaf. So I think that sort of complements it well. And then if you happen to have chickweed around, you can add that too. And I think those three together work really well. Those are, that's like the main thing that I do. So with purple dead nettle, I also like to infuse it into honey. And that's sort of a new thing that I did last spring. And I'll do it again this spring. But the benefit of that is it kind of, the honey kind of gets rid of the the taste that people don't like so much. Hmm. And so you can enjoy the benefits of purple dead nettle with the honey, which kind of tempers that, that flavor. Mm-hmm. And do you, with that honey, is it something that you like adding it to teas or is there, you know, particular 
ways you like to work with the honey? Like I'm imagining that maybe it could help with allergies. You mentioned yes. allergies. Yeah. Yes, it can definitely help with allergies. And especially if you use local honey, because it's, you know, sort of known that if you use a honey that's really, really hyper local to your environment, that may help with allergies as well. So then you kind of got like a double, a double dose there. But yeah, you can use it in you know, use it in with your tea, or you could just take a spoonful of it every day. Some people like to do that, just like have their their purple dead nettle honey or whatever type of honey they're making. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those would be the two main options. Or you could just drizzle it on your oatmeal or on your ice cream or whatever whatever you want to use it for. You know, honey is just is just delicious. When you use the fresh plant material too, and that's that's another thing about purple dead nettle and a lot of plants. I mean, you could use purple dead nettle dried, but I think it's more beneficial to use it when fresh. If I mean, if you've ever dried like a mint family plant, like a lot of times they sort of lose their their scent a little bit and lose their. I mean, there's I'm trying to think of one that I've that I've done. Like peppermint will still be really strong smelling, but some of the other mint family plants they just seem to sort of like lose some of their like essence or whatever. So I feel like with the honey, it's really easy to just throw a whole bunch of purple dentil in a jar, top it with honey until it's covered, and just let it infuse for a few weeks. And super simple, really easy, and pretty tasty. <laughs> Those are my favorite kind of recipes. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that recipe with us. And for the listeners, if you'd like to download your free recipe card, then you can visit the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com and you'll get a recipe card for purple dead nettle infused honey. Well, I'm wondering if you could talk briefly about lookalikes, because I feel like there's some that often comes up when people are thinking about purple dead nettle and, and some of the lookalikes that are out there. Yeah, sure. Well, we already talked about stinging nettle, which really right. doesn't look like purple dead nettle, even though they have the same name. The main lookalike would be henbit, which is very, very closely related to purple dead nettle. And to be honest, they could be used in the same way. So it, it has a square stem. It's about the same height. It has the little purple flowers. It doesn't have like the purple dead nettle, like the top is like triangular shaped and that whole top is is sort of pinkish or purplish in color. Henbit, it, the leaves sort of go around the stem and it does have little pink flowers. And the pink flowers look almost identical to the flowers that actually come out of purple dead nettle. And those look all, both of those look very similar to other mint family flowers as well. They're just really tiny and they have this sort of distinct look to them. But the leaf structure is different and they don't have the furry, the furry hairs. Sometimes people call purple dead nettle henbit dead nettle which is really confusing That's <laughs> <very> confusing <laughs> because they're two different plants but b both of them are edible both of them are medicinal so even if you confuse them it's really no big deal <laughs> well thanks for mentioning that and yeah. do you have anything else to share about purple dead nettle one thing I can say is I do have a whole blog post on my web page about purple dead nettle and I have photos that show the difference between dead nettle and henbit. So if you really want to get like a good photo representation of those, you can check out on my blog, Grow, Forage, Cook, Ferment, the, the post that I have all about purple dead nettle. And it is another example of your stunning photography on that particular oh, blog post you. as well. <laughs> Colleen, I'd like to hear about what projects you have going on right now. The main thing is my online foraging course. So it's called Gather and Root. It's open all the time for enrollment, but it's obviously very popular during the springtime when everybody's starting to think about foraging and all that. And I talk about edible plants. I talk about medicinal plants. 
so I kind of cover both bases there, but it's all about foraging and, you know, it, it has like 50, 50 to 60, I don't know the exact number, but somewhere between 50 and 60 plants I cover. I do videos for each one and, you know, how to identify them and use them and harvest them and all those sorts of things. Wonderful. Yeah. If you'd like more information on purple dead nettle, visit the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com where you'll find a link for an exclusive handout filled with lots of tips and insights. My last question that I have for uh, you is one that I'm asking everybody in season three. And I love this question because it's no, no matter whether we've been herbalists for 30 days or 30 years, there's always something new out there in the herb world. So I'm, I'm curious what's new for you these days. Well, what's new for me is us moving to Vermont, as I mentioned. So I had been West Coast person my whole life. And so that's where I learned how to identify plants for, you know, I learned all the plants on the West Coast for foraging and the herbalism plants. So I'm all really knowledgeable on the West Coast, but you know, there's some differences. (laughs) And what's really exciting to me now is to see all the things that are growing out here. So when we moved, it was in the middle of summertime and there was all these plants, some of which I recognized, of course, but some of which I didn't and others, which I were like, was really excited to find. So as we were traveling through upstate New York to get to Vermont, I saw these flowers just like growing all along the side of the road. And at one point I asked my husband, I was like, we need to stop. I need to like, see if that flower is what I think it is. And I was right. It was valerian, wild valerian growing Mm -hmm. everywhere, which I had grown in my garden in the past, but never really had found in the wild in Oregon. So Mm -hmm. I was like, so excited. Um, And teaching my son who was four that this is wild valerian. And it's just, it's really exciting to me to find these plants that, okay, I know about and I've heard about and I've used and I've maybe even grown, but like haven't like found them out in the wild. So yeah, valerian was one. And then the, the Eastern version of mugwort, of course, on the West Coast, we have the West Coast version, but to see the Eastern version was really exciting. And staghorn sumac grows Mm -hmm. here. And of course, black elderberry too. We have blue elderberry on the West Coast. And there might be some places where you can find black elderberry. Have you ever found black elderberry? Yeah, it's not not growing wild, but we actually found one growing in our in our yard that we planted. But yeah, I don't I had never seen one in in the wild. But as we were traveling up the East Coast, I just we saw black elderberry just like growing on the side of the road. So that's very exciting. So anyways, I'm excited for the the upcoming spring and summer to see what else I'm going to discover that maybe I haven't, you know, discovered enough of. Jewelweed was another one. Jewelweed. Mm, I'll bet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had that same experience in that I learned all of the plants on the West Coast and then I moved across the mountains. And that time was so special that just every day just felt like so exciting and vibrant and I never yeah. lived anywhere without my field guides. And it's just, you know, it's that beginning, those beginning crushes and the intensity. Right. Right. So. Even just the trees and stuff, you know, there's different trees and, you know, some of them are similar, but just learning like what's here, like what's new and, and all that. It's, it is very exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Clean, for being on the show and for sharing about Purple Dead Metal with us. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm so happy that you've been here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Colleen's recipe for purple dead nettle infused honey. 
You'll also get access to the complete show notes, including the transcript. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists, gardeners, and plant-centered folks like you. I'm so glad that you're here and a part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.